0: welcome back to our growing experiment we're here with stephanie from frisk point ranch Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself absolutely yeah
1: so my name is stephanie frisk and i am the creator and the ceo of frisk point ranch and frisk farm online chicken academy and my story it's a little different than others but it's actually very similar to yours which is why i'm quite excited to to discuss with you guys today because it's um Our entities are a little bit different Um, whereas other entities or other farms have a farm base home base um, we're kind of doing something a little bit different where we have an online platform and we have our own at home platform our own farm business so we're similar in that way because i have an online business that fuels and develops my ranch and it's a lot of what you guys are doing like even what we're doing right now in this very moment, it resonates with that because the podcast fuels your other growing experiments as passive income or, or even just wealth of knowledge, to be honest, because you're, you're able to share with these incredible people and you're able to even share that with others, which to me, I think is, is very powerful. So I'm very humbled to be here.
2: Well, thanks for being here. (laughs) Yeah. That's definitely what we're trying to do is, uh, Uh, wealth of knowledge for sure we're just really just trying to reach out to people who are doing the stuff that we'd like to be doing more of and as we talk to them we get to learn more about how to do it like
1: absolutely uh, there's a
2: yeah like what you're doing there too like uh having your chickens there and uh teaching people how to have chickens so it made perfect sense to reach out to you and talk to you because that's exactly what you're doing especially with regards to chickens so So like, say if a person like me wants to get started in chickens, what's the, what's the first thing I want to consider?
1: Well, the first thing that I would ask my first reflex question is where are you? Because raising chickens in suburbia, which is where I started off with versus raising chickens out in the bush or raising chickens on a farm, it's very different. And especially depending on your legislations and things like that, you have to be very wary of that. And that's something that I've developed in these courses is how to do that without screwing everything up. So how to do that without flipping your whole life around because a lot of people, they want to be able to have this lifestyle. They want to become more self-sustainable. They want that piece of the farm life, but they don't want to pay that million dollar farm. They don't want to move their family. They don't want to have their whole lives flipped around. So they just want a piece of that. And to me, Chickens is the perfect way to do that because you can just do that with three or four in your own backyard. You don't need a massive backyard. So the first thing that I would ask is where you are. You got are you guys in the, right in the in the heart of the city?
2: We're in the suburbs.
1: So the first thing I would say is I would tell you to avoid one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they have chickens in suburbia, which is don't get started with chicks. Don't do it. it's such a a misconception and it's hard because they're really cute and they're super fun yes and we all love to watch them grow and they get through that awkward teenage phase and it's great but what happens is you start with chicks and it's fun but then all of a sudden you have three four roosters and your neighbors start to ask questions and you know because chicks don't make that much noise it becomes very apparent very quickly And if you don't think about this ahead of time, it's a very easy way for your neighbors to become nosy or things like that. And it's very, very easy to kind of stir a soup that you don't want to stir. So that would be my first consideration is really make sure where you are, if you can have chickens, of course, depending on your legislations, and to just for the first part, don't get started with chicks. Get started with a pullet where you know it's a lady you don't have to worry about those morning calls. Yeah, that would be my first piece of advice for sure.
2: That makes a lot of sense. And so I would assume usually if you have a person who wants to do that, especially in the suburbs, they're probably going to be having something like a laying hen, right? And so what would exactly. be like the the core difference between say like a laying hand and a meat hen? Obvious uh, to me is the basically the body size and the meat, right? Because that's what you're raising it for. And are there any particulars when it comes to say different chicken species for, uh, how often they lay or what kind of egg they lay or something like that?
1: Definitely your, your rhyme and reason behind what you're doing is very important because if, if the goal is to be self-sustainable and you want both, then there are dual purpose. There are breeds that, that will give you, you know, a pretty rational laying consistency versus those that are only main goal is to lay an egg almost every day. There's there's a breed out there that can, well, there's many breeds, but that'll lay over 300 eggs a year, which is staggering,
0: you yeah. know what I
1: mean? While a broiler, well, in consistency, it's never supposed to lay eggs because in, in essence, you get them as chicks from a hatchery or if you're able to do that, which is a goal of ours, to be able to do that here ourselves, you grow them up to eight weeks, they never reach maturity to be able to lay those eggs because they're butchered at eight to 10, 12 weeks, depending on the breed. So the main characteristics between the both is that your laying hens, depending on what you want to do, your laying hens are going to be really a pillar into what you want to do. If you want laying hens, go for the really strong breeds. You can do your, um, your Sussex, your red, Rhode Island Reds. Um, the names kind of change. Like I know in the South, they call them Comets, Red Comets. It's all the same idea. They're all crossbreeds or hybrids, mm. and they really deliver in your eggs. Like I remember when we were in suburbia and we had, we started with six uh, red sexlings, and we were over flooded with eggs. We we were getting. We had six chickens. We had six eggs a day, and we were struggling to just eat it all. But that that's was the, the one dream I behind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your eggs every day, lunch, dinner, bread, <laughs> yeah. snacks. That's what it was. <laughs> Yeah.
2: Um. And another thing, I was just thinking of too, uh, because you were talking about how, say, your broiler chickens, there, you're only going to bring them up to say nine months, and then you're going to butcher them. So with your hens yep. that are laying, is there a consideration with their age as well? And like, say, is there a peak time where they're going to do their most laying? Or
1: that's a very good question. Yeah. So while broilers, you only they're only really not supposed to survive, but most people have just raise them to eight to ten weeks and then butcher your laying hens. They have a much longer return on an investment, sort of speak, where you can keep them for three years. Typically their peak is about two and then it naturally starts to decrease. Um, you'll notice too, if with big factory farms, what they do is that they'll, they'll add lights and things like that and they'll change the feed to try to keep that consistency, but it's just a natural depletion mm-hmm. over, the, over the course of the years. While a hen can lay for its entire life, nine, 10 years, it won't lay as well for the first 2 years or the first 2 years you'll probably see that 300 ed a year mark from that one hen after mm-hmm. 2 you'll see maybe 200 after 3 you'll see 4 you'll maybe see 100 it'll it'll slowly go down and that's why a lot of people they they keep that rotation and most hens don't really see over 5 years especially in those big factory farms after 2 years they're out of there so mm-hmm. i really like the aspect that people are getting more comfortable and more aware really about what's happening out there. And if they don't like that, then they can do it themselves and they can keep that chicken. It's kind of resonates a little bit more about the the work that goes behind it.
2: Yeah. You have a more hands-on experience and uh, more relationship to the caring of the animal. And it also, I think is a lot more ethical in the sense where you know that this animal, you know, say eventually when that animal runs its course, where you're going to need to bring in younger chickens. Well, you know, you give that chicken one bad day and then you throw it in the pot. And I mean, it's, it seems like uh, merciful versus what you consider what would happen in nature or versus a large scale farm where you're going to have animals literally living on top of each other. So, I mean, it definitely yes, yes. Makes, makes sense. Yeah. So I guess that's probably what you would do then. Once the chicken starts to age out, then you consider sending them to the butcher, I guess, or butchering them yourself or whatever.
1: Yeah. When it comes to laying hands, it's a little bit difficult because. And like the best analogy that I can come up with on the spot for some reason is like i can compare a laying hen to like a dairy cow if you can picture a dairy cow
0: mm-hmm. they're
1: they're very skinny it's it's normal to see mm-hmm. on a dairy cow to see bones and that's it, it's not as as visually appealing because you can't really see it but like a laying hen is a lot like that in where it doesn't hold a lot of fat it doesn't hold a lot of muscle so when it does run its course you can't really utilize it like a broiler whereas a broiler like it's just meat it's muscle it's packed in there Right. A hen doesn't have that, a laying hen doesn't have that, so a lot of people, what they would do after a few years where they're noticing that, you know, their food consumption is increasing and their egg production is decreasing, is they'll ultimately use them for, um, um, I can, I can't think of the word in English, but the, um, basically like broiler broth, like chicken broth, yeah. using okay. the bones and stuff, because there's yeah. not enough meat there to, to really have that, that chicken breast consistency. Right.
2: Right. Well, that's a good use for it though, too, because yeah. broths are really good and it's a good way to get the nutrients out of there. Good, great for a soup base and all that other kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, yes. So and they preserve time. well. And yep. I was noticing, um, in your other podcast, there was something that resonated with me and it was, uh, it was in, in a few of them and it was the, the, you know, preserve preservation of the food you know, mm-hmm. that you guys are growing because you guys have a dome. And I love that, that you guys were, you know, expanding, your growing season. And with that, you're, you know, you want to learn how to do that. And it kind of resonated with me because out of all those podcasts, those, that thing was resonated every single time. I'm like, if someone could make an online course about that, you're mm-hmm. going to be set. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, it's so no crucial,
0: right? Especially in our environment where we can't, most of us can't grow like during the winter for a few months so if you preserve then yeah. you're still eating what you grew in the summer
2: well and then there's kind of a lot that goes into it in a sense because like one thing that we realized especially because we didn't uh, intelligently kind of plant our stuff on a schedule it's like it seems like you're harvesting all at once and then when you know you got a new kid and you're working <clears throat> pardon me and you got other things that you're trying to do around the house, the last thing you want to do is go out there and pick vegetables for an hour or two hours, right? You kind of just want to sit down and not do much. And so one thing we realized that we would have to do is schedule when we're going to do our harvests. And then we'll be constantly kind of doing little harvests that we're aware that we're going to be doing and then time it where we can do our preserving at the same time. And then also when stuff is coming to maturity, we're going to be going out there, picking it, bringing it straight in, putting it on the plate. And so that kind of, uh, you don't have to preserve it because you're using it right but it's it, you have to yes. have sort of a seasonal mindset always be thinking ahead of how you're going to preserve all of that energy because that's really what it is uh more properly i guess is you're putting your energy into the the garden say as well as the energy from the sun and all that kind of stuff and you want to figure out a way to store that fuel that energy so you can utilize it during the seasons when you're not creating it right and so it's it's yes. to me it's like i have to get in that that mindset where then, then you're not thinking about going to the grocery store or any of that kind of stuff, right? Because you know, all right, this week, we're going to have a whole lot of be- uh, peas. So we're eating lots of peas this week. And then we also got our lettuce and this, we're gonna eat that. And then, you know, in a couple of weeks, we got to tear those plants down. And then our tomatoes will start being ready. So we can start picking some tomatoes and throwing them in the salads and then figure out how many of those you're going to put away to store to make your sauces, your bases, whatever else. So it, it's like, you really got to think it like ahead and plan it out. But But I think that's that's the only way you can really do it. You gotta otherwise you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off at the end of the season (laughs) trying to get everything done.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it creates burnout, right? When you're you have all this all at once, it's especially like in this industry, and I'm talking agriculture as a whole, whether it's crops, vegetables, CSAs, or livestock, it burnout is real. Mm -hmm. And if you don't think about ahead of time you're going to struggle. And I think it's such a slippery slope because especially in the home, like the homesteader kind of movement that's happening right now, that awareness where everyone mm-hmm. wants to start doing that. And I love it. It's very slippery and it's very dangerous for people to say, oh, you know what? I want to start homesteading. I'm gonna just going to do all the things. I'm yep. Chickens, I'm going to get broilers. I'm going to start a garden. I'm going to do this. I'm going to preserve. And it gets so heavy so quickly. And then you burn out and then you start to question, like, what am I doing? So it's, it's, it's good that you guys are thinking and it's, it's yes. And it's good for people to hear it too, because it's, you really need to think about that because it, it sneaks up on you when you least expect it. And you're sitting on the couch and you're like, oh my gosh,
2: that's
1: so many tomatoes.
2: Yeah. Yes. And that just kind of made me think uh, like maybe a a good parallel would be like for a person who decides, oh, I want to get fit. And so they go to the gym with their new workout plan they found online and they're like, I'm going to do three sets of the bench and then I'm going to go do squat and then I'm going to go do deadlifts. And then the next week their whole body is beat to hell. They're tired. They have no motivation to go. And it's like, well, yeah, everything in your body is telling you to stop because you're beating it up. And so it's almost like you got to start with, say, with regards to farming. Okay. I'm going to do like the equivalent of just dumbbell curls today. It's like, all right, I need to have a garden that's built and uh, properly plant the plants so that I can manage them. So you start small with like a little garden and then you go from there. Cause like with us, when we started doing our big garden and started doing it on our own, it was, it was a lot of work. And then we were just, uh, we didn't schedule it. So it was like, we didn't do the, the work in the beginning. We didn't have the actual plan. Yeah. I'm kind of getting off the point of that, but, <laughs> but I just kind of thought that was an apt analogy where it was like, you know, you take on all of it at once. Cause you're, you're really ambitious, but it's like, you need to have the foresight to say, all right, do this little thing that I can do, do that. Right. Which actually builds the confidence or strengthens you sort of to take on the next thing.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's like, I think it's so important. And like I said, it's a slippery slope. but like get like, I, and I hope that anyone who hears this is just get, get really, really good at one thing at one point in time and then keep going because as you as you get better with that one thing you you step over the biggest hurdle in, in that's just starting yeah. like in this agriculture world it's in in literally whatever you do whether it's crops vegetables whatever it is the the learning curve is staggering yeah. it's 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 intimidating and whether it's the the massive capital investment that is livestock or it's the capital investment of land, just getting your foot in the door, just starting with something, whether it's a potted plant on your counter or it's a little garden in the back, just start. And then once you start, you'll kind of find your way without getting burnout and then kind of ease into what you like to do. It's definitely, definitely important, yes.
2: And another thing that made me think of too, is maybe even in taking those little steps in the beginning, you might find out like, oh, I wanted to be a homesteader, but really I'm a garden bed person, you know? But you know what, I really love this movement and I've been on Instagram and I found some people who are homesteader types and they do have chickens or they do have cows and maybe I'll try to communicate with them and contact with them and then I can keep some part of this idea alive. So it's like you find where you fit into the whole sort of structure by just taking that first step in the journey, I guess.
1: Exactly, and I like. I think that a lot of people with that mindset, they, they're ready and they're willing, they're they're willing to do it. They're just, they're, they're either afraid or it's the overwhelm or it's those really deep dives in YouTube (laughs) that we all do, that we get lost in. And then you almost have like, you sit there and you're like, I have analysis paralysis because I'm like, now I have all of this information and it's not that it's bad. It's just, there's so much of it. It's hard to put together into what actually works for you. And that's actually one of the biggest reasons i i was making a course is because i was i was we were in the middle we were living in suburbia we knew where we wanted to go like we just moved here in in october so this is our first winter here but okay i knew where we wanted to go but i I couldn't quite get there but i needed to do something i needed to take a step just like you guys with your dome to get into that lifestyle that i want i don't have to wait until i got there to do that so in order to get over my own analysis paralysis and to help others get over that, that hump or that step, I just put everything in a nice little package and now it helps people all over the world just start. It's as simple as that. Just start. Yeah. I don't portray myself as an expert and I don't think you really need to be to just start. You know, yeah. It's just that little pumpkin push yeah. <laughs> to get you out the door.
2: Yeah, well, you're kind of like an adventurer who's went off into new land and you've come back with a map to sort of teach people how to go to this new place. And the place is sort of more sustainability through way of managing your own food. And I think it's, it's, um, it's kind of funny because I study history. And if you go back, say, less than 100 years, even really to this area, you have a lot of people basically living what the kind of sort of lifestyle that we're talking about, a, a small farm or a medium sized farm. Uh, and supports the surrounding community. So it's it's something that happened then. And I mean, one thing you would definitely hear, it was a really hard life and it was, I think it still is. Cause I think that's one thing that a farmer never turns away from either is like hard work, they don't mind doing it. But I think now too, because we have more access to information, way better technology. I think there's a lot of ways to sort of mitigate a lot of that sort of stress and sort of uh, a, assist the farmers to have more of a small scale um i wonder how big that scales up from that like i kind of think about living in a place like cities of city of sudbury versus living in the smaller surrounding communities and i wonder if like because the smaller surrounding communities they already have farms there if it's like easier to create that small loop in in with those small communities than it is having it because like we were talking about this today it's like living in the city part of living in the city is you want access to say the big box stores and the resources you want sort of expediency you want sort of uh, low friction interactions and all that kind of stuff and we're sort of talking about you know going back to the the getting your hands in the dirt and doing that kind of stuff so it's like i see a lot of appeal to it but it's also it's something you've really got to like believe in it's and it's i think it's probably a hard sell to the modern person in a way too because it's like you tell them, yeah, you can do all this work and you'll have these great carrots, which will be super nutrient dense and they'll make you happy. And then they say, well, I can go to the store and buy a kilo of carrots. And I'm pretty happy with that. So like, it's, uh, but it's like, you got to really have the, the belief in the system of it.
1: That's actually really interesting. It makes me think, um, like, especially today more than ever, I think we have like a massive influx in people who who are are becoming more aware right and like especially especially this generation like they're very aware of the current state of how everything is and they're they're ready to to make a positive impact in where they can mm-hmm. and although that, that may differ from one side to to the other like they're they are ready for that and I think a part of how farmers like you were talking about how it might be easier for a farmer in a smaller community to kind of be more in tune with each other compared to a larger area. I think if we are more geared and we are willing to to give and to be able to like inform them in the way that they're able to receive or in the way that they want to receive Mm. that information, that's going to make a really big difference because like uh, just as an example, like we... We were raising chickens. It's been a very long time. We're doing broilers and eggs and I could talk all day about the benefits of what this product is and how it was raised. They don't really want to know that like there it's important, but what they really want is how it affects them. They Mm -hmm. want to know, well, what, what is that going to do for me? Or, or how can I learn that? I don't really want to do it the way that you do. Right. So like having and it's something that I really wish and I want, I want to help encourage other farmers to do is to be able to, to give the information that they are ready to have, like especially with COVID right now, mm-hmm. online learning,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like there is such a massive demand and there's like there's never been a better opportunity for farmers especially to create that and to be able to give that to the generation the way that they are used to having it It's, it's like a, the recipe for success, like that one course sustains and continues to grow this thing. And I haven't even had cattle on this farm yet. So, you know what I mean? Like if in a way that a farmer can in today's world grow and be more in tune with the city that it's in is to be ready to, to give in the way that, that people are either used to receiving it or in the way that people are looking for it. Like I was listening to a old McDonald farm Mm -hmm. And I absolutely loved what they said, because they were saying that they want to create more, more events, because we're lacking in that in some way. There's Mm -hmm. not a lot of places where you can go. That right there is a connection. People are actively seeking things to do because there's nothing to do here. Right. And that is a really great way for them to, to communicate like that. And I think like if, especially farming and agriculture, in that sense, we're so stuck on word of mouth. We're so stuck on, you know, like this is a good product. You should care about this, but it's not the way that it's received on the other side. So we have to be really careful and we have to be able to to flow and to adapt to what's happening right now because there's a really big movement that's happening. And I think the more small farms are growing and the more awareness that we can bring, we're creating that pressure with the government that because we're doing all these things and maybe there's less demand for these large factory farms that That maybe oh my god maybe we need to change things maybe we need to give grants instead of a grant for a dairy farm for five hundred thousand or a million maybe i should do a smaller grant for you know like it's yeah, yeah exactly. i think that the more that we do it and the more that we're able to to resonate with the people that are eventually going to be buying it or getting it or serving it is going to make a really big difference because those small communities word of mouth works because that's all they have they don't really yeah. need social media they don't really need events but a larger city like this, not that this is large compared to Toronto, mm-hmm. like there, there's other avenues that we can take for sure. And I think that if anything, like even what you guys are doing right now, this, this podcast in a whole is a perfect example of that because you're reaching people while you're still doing something else. And it all circles back in yeah. a different way that people are used to. I don't think, I, I don't even remember the last time I went for a walk, that I didn't have a podcast in my ears. It's just yep. so, it's so normal now. Yeah. So I think that what you're doing is a really good example of how you can communicate with the community that you have in the way that you know that they're going to resonate with.
2: Yeah. So, I think I got off
1: top of it there, but it was no, just no, that, that's,
2: that's totally on top because it's, it, you're really addressing the, the community outreach part, which is what we've been talking about and trying to figure out too, is like, and we are trying to do this and we're kind of learning as we go, but it's, it's really figuring out a way to, explain to the person you're trying to get to buy into this idea what exactly is the advantage to them because there's a lot of ideas where like yeah it's sustainable yeah it's this but like there has to be a clear a clear advantage to them and, and you can't really discount someone for wanting that right i mean they're putting their hard-earned money into something and they have to be convinced yes. of getting the best value and i think that's probably why it's hard to sort of make the argument where, where they can go and buy say twice as much food for half the price or uh, two-thirds of the price yeah. And it's not clear the value there. And I wonder sometimes, like, um, because there is a big focus on um, uh, climate change and, and that kind of thing, I wonder if, like, uh, a strength to what we're trying to do is, like, well, how much how much climate change are we causing by having a huge trade web that covers the whole planet when we could have a series of smaller, not isolated, but smaller, more... Um, uh, community oriented sort of supply chains. Cause like it would, it would only even strengthen the smaller communities because the dollar would stay in the community longer. Like, if you think about it, someone here goes and works for a company and they make some money and then they go and they give that money to say Walmart or extra foods or whatever. And I was talking to Sophia today. I'm like, well, where's the headquarters for that? Cause then it's like that money went from the community to directly out of the community in say a week, depending on when you got paid to when you went to go buy your groceries. And if you look at, say, taking your money and giving it to a local farm, well, now that local farm might go buy feed from a local feed yard, and then that local feed yard might go buy another thing of eggs before finally maybe they go and buy a set of clothes that went out of the community. The point being that that dollar would stay in the community, say, a few weeks and circulate and kind of everyone gets to touch that dollar versus it going straight out of the community instantly. And I, I mean, I think there is an inclination towards that kind of thinking right now, but it's also really hard because uh, one thing we talked about today too, was some people think that a lot of uh, this type of a movement is sort of uh, elitist, I think was the word that was used. And it's like, cause there is some price restriction to getting involved. And I can see that in some way, but it also, I think yeah. depends on what you're focusing with your business. Cause I don't really see focusing on preserving food chains as very elitist because I mean, everybody eats. You know, if, if you're focusing on some things that aren't maybe as necessary, I can, I can see where you're saying, well, that's like, you know, a nice thing to have, but not really necessary. Um, yeah, I'm kind of rambling now, I guess, (laughs) but, 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 but the point I was making is I I think one of the ideas is maybe trying to sell people on like, no, no, it it matters where your dollar goes, especially if you want your community to be good. It's, it's, it's an investment in your community, which, uh you would think would make it better for everyone in the community just because everyone's getting paid relatively well Yeah,
0: supporting each other.
2: Yeah. And I mean, people like, don't like minimum wage being too low. Say it's like, well, the way you kind of get around that is like no one's paying for minimum wage when it comes to the farm. Like when you buy the chicken, right. You're paying more than minimum wage, but you're paying a living wage, right? The idea is the person you're paying can have a life and a, and a life that's, you know, reasonably comfortable I mean they're still working their their butt off because they're they're farmers yeah but it's like they get to have a decent life and you get to have decent food and it just it just seems more of um, uh, more human interaction instead of having food that comes from who knows where picked by who knows who and yeah I, and I mean it's good to support I mean someone's getting paid for their work but it seems like maybe you're you're having a more direct value exchange in a smaller community
0: yeah because it's the value to like most people we're talking to you They say they quit their jobs and did this and now they're working way more than they used to, but it's the rewarding part of it, right? Like it's, to them, it means so much more than what they were doing before. So it's the value.
2: And it's, it's like, that's, that's the one um, hard part in a sense is it's, it's great that we talk to people who want to do this, but they've already bought in, right? Yeah. Like say Stephanie, for example, is a hundred percent in, right? So it's almost preaching to the choir, but we're, we're trying to figure out a way to really get to the consumer in a way which helps sort of keep the whole system. And I think yeah. it's beneficial for both sides. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's a beautiful message. And you're, you actually said it really eloquently that I think it was in another podcast and you kind of touched base on it a little bit is that you said that we have, um, we have all the resources that we need and mm-hmm. exportation and importation almost seems silly because you know, we're raising cattle up north.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're shipping them down south to Toronto to finish them for them to be shipped into Brazil for the, like it yeah. just, it doesn't, it seems silly. Like when you really think of the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. as to why we're doing that when we have everything we need right here. And that's mm-hmm. the beauty of this industry is that, you know, you can have, like I would I would love to see hundreds of farms here and not have to, to, to see or go to that styrofoam meet and see a farm that I don't know with labels I don't really trust you know cage-free like who knows nowadays what that even means because there's so much there's so much hidden stuff there that you don't know and that you can't really know even if you look into it yeah so it's it's definitely it's a movement that I hope sticks and I think that you are right where when you were talking about uh, it's an elitist belief and it's also a challenging belief depending on what you're doing especially like because if you're doing vegetables, if you're doing CSA, if you're doing fruits or trees, I feel like people are a lot more supportive of that, especially right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas where we're heading and kind of shifting, which is really focusing on like the genetics of, of broiler and cattle. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pushback there, especially right now with the vegan movement. And mm-hmm. it's it's a little it's it's a little touchy right now so that yeah. while there is a really good movement of awareness you have to be really really careful but in essence if in a perfect world and i don't even know i wish i could i hope to see it in my lifetime but i would love to see all these farms doing very similar things like down the road or there's a vegetable csa oh this girl does fruits that's awesome oh this girl has nut trees this guy has christmas trees like these these guys are all doing grass-fed beef but they're all even if we're all kind of doing the same thing we're 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 offering it in different ways mm-hmm. We we all have a little bit something different like we can have five different pumpkin patches but people will go to specific ones for a reason yeah so i would love i would love to see that in my lifetime i hope to see it in my lifetime
2: so that makes me wonder too if it's like um if the, if the push that would uh, help kind of create this community or sort of give it a bedrock to be built upon, would it be that there has to be way more sort of food suppliers that could provide more to the say, the consumers that are say, living in a place like Sudbury? Or is it, you gotta get kind of people Uh, Buying into that idea, and maybe even try to get, like, say, the government to make it a little easier. Because I think right now the way laws are set up around farming, it makes it pretty cost restrictive, and it makes it really hard to get involved at a small scale, especially when you're getting loans and stuff like that. Like, I think banks want to give loans to big farms that are doing more monoculture type things, and so, to some degree, that that's something that kind of has to change too, because it's kind of hard if you're basically fighting against what the sort of government's trying to do mission-wise, right? Because they're basically saying the way that we've been supplying the market with food is by doing this. We do big farms, we do big feed lots, we do this, and it's easier to kind of control top down. You're like, okay, yeah, Yeah. and you can see where there's, I mean, I think one of the biggest problems we have in North America is we actually throw out a ton of food. Like, I think, like, it's that's kind of really a problem and it's probably because of the way we do the food it's like yeah it creates surplus but then the surplus is being not used and wasted and that's that's really really bad to be doing that like you're taking all this energy from the earth and then throwing it out like at least now like they're in the community here like they have a program where you can go and get uh, uh, food that's yes. about to expire and then mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, and then put that into the farm. Oof, so that's yeah, good yeah. because now we're now we're not wasting that, right? We're turning that energy and giving it to an animal, and then it's we're 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 not wasting that that output, yeah. right? So, like, I wonder if maybe there's a way to sort of argue that it's it's sort of hard because you got to think the people who have the big agriculture businesses, they also probably got a lot of money to fight and say, no, 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 what we're doing is more efficient. It's a better investment. But these people are doing is they don't really have the advantage. choice. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's like uh, you kind of, we kind of have to figure out a way to rationalize that argument and be like, no, 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 the proof is this like, come look at my farm. The animals here have a higher standard of living than they do on any of those farms. Uh, The amount of transportation or fuel cost that's used to get my animal to the actual customer is far less than what you're using. Um, The environmental damage because of my program being living with nature and not opposed to nature or oppressing nature. It's like, so you, we, it kind of has to be like almost like a five or six point plan where you can lay out like, no, 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 I am actually doing a better job for the environment. No, I am actually providing better quality for my community. And the only thing that you're providing more of, say that it was the big, the big uh, agriculture company would be like, you're providing a lot more money for people, but it's like, yep. well, where do we want to put that money? if If you're going to say that we need to drastically change the way we get our energy and, and that basically means if we're going to drastically change the way we get our energy, it's going to drive energy costs up. And you got to think, well, that's going to affect people, the poorest people the most. And so that's another reason we got to consider like how sustainable is this really big monolith kind of thing versus a bunch of tiny little food chains within a larger food chain, right? Like it's, you're trying to argue for a strong base versus a a huge structure in a sense. And I I think there's some argument there, but it's like, uh, there almost needs to be like um, a cohesive sort of almost like a farmer's coalition kind of that sort of Yes, a
1: revolution is what we need
2: (laughs) sort of. Yeah. (laughs) Like uh, basically what you have to do is sort of look at like people who get stuff done in government, what do they do? They lobby. All right. Well, we need to create our own lobby in a sense for, small scale agriculture for small cities and towns or whatever because that's the way you get the leverage on the government to actually enable you to do what you want to do right which is set up a a sustainable food chain that benefits the environment the community and and even yourself because you're having an enriched life by working out in the field working with the animals and earning an honest day's pay.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that, I do believe that that's something that we need. And, you know, there's there's always people that are willing and able to devote themselves to that lifestyle, but there's others that aren't. And that's kind of creates the room to breathe and the, the, the need for these small little businesses. But you're right. I, I am curious to see what would be necessary to really create a change. Because although the movement creates a little bit, I think it just stirs up maybe like the old way of doing things, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what it's going to look like or what it's going to take for them really to be like, Oh, you know what? This isn't working because you're absolutely right. Like there's, I was looking through the grants the other day and there was one, it was like a a million dollar grant, like not a loan. It was a grant Mm -hmm. for a dairy industry and that mind bottles me. So you would get a thousand, a million dollar grant, but you'd have to be in this location. So you have to buy land for 800000 machinery. Mm-hmm. Like the grant doesn't even co- like cover the costs of everything that you need to do, but that's all they're willing to do in these very specific, very, very, very specific industries. So I really hope to see a change and I'd love to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But it would be really to, like you said, to, to lobby and to really find a way that, that makes their ground, that they stand on shake a little bit and worry because that's really what we need to do
2: well that, that kind of makes me think in a way then one of the one of the best things to do in talking to lots of uh small-scale farmers and people who are doing what you're doing is to basically figure out you know what are the the highest hurdles for you guys to get over and you know what can be done to sort of lower those hurdles or lower that barrier barrier to entry you know like i i, I figured there, there there must be enough people in the greater sudbury area to get enough like even if you say you could get enough of the farmers on board it might be enough to say get some kind of allowance in some way I mean even if it's only an inch it's a start in the right direction Mm -hmm. and you got to kind of build on that I think I mean it's kind of funny too because I think a lot of farmers and stuff the reason they get into doing that is because they just want to kind of work and be left alone yeah and it's kind of funny because you almost got to drag them back (laughs) into the system you're like No, 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 if we want so everyone can do this, we got to also go and put the suit on and talk to the government and, you know, try to get them to, so you can be left alone because otherwise you got to play
1: both parties.
2: Yeah. Most farmers are
1: introverts, right? And we, like you said, we do a lot of it to remain introvert. I want to remain by myself. You know, a lot of us resonate with the ground, getting our hands dirty or with animals. That's different, but yeah, you're right. You gotta, you gotta play both parties to tango for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I, I, that's, that's one thing that I've been thinking about a lot because, uh, like I was, I was trying to figure out long-term because like right now, a lot of the people that we talk to, uh, another thing that's common is most of them have probably been doing this less than five years or around five years. Yeah. And so that's still pretty early. And I think in a business, usually you're not even looking at making profit until say you've been in it for say five years or three years at least. And I don't know what the margins work out to in say farming. I imagine they're probably pretty tight, but So like, that's, that's one thing you got to kind of figure out is like, you know, how, how do we, how do we make it so it's, it's just easier for people to get into it. And if maybe that's not a way that's a good lever of change, it's like, okay, well, how do we get people into it, even though there's a high barrier of entry? Like there's a, there's a couple of different ways, I think, to look at it where, where you're trying to, and you're convincing different people at different levels, right? You're convincing some people to get into the actual farming, some people just to be a consumer of the product of the farming. So I mean, that's, that's what we're kind of mindful of. And I think, I think maybe an angle in it too, and maybe this kind of plays too close to the elitist thing, but I kind of thought in a way too, when, when you're eating this high quality food, maybe, maybe being proud of it or sort of saying that it's a good thing or making it a high quality. Like I wonder sometimes it's like, yeah, it's not luxury, but it is kind of luxury. You know what I mean? Like almost making it like a blue collar luxury. It's like yeah yeah you guys got your fancy uh gold rings and all that kind of stuff but right here I got some grass-fed grade A the best meat you can get in this town. You know like like I don't know there's something about that too where you, like you just you're saying no, no no my value's right here. I eat like a millionaire. Not really a millionaire but I wonder if I play with that idea sometimes like you're trying to I don't know cuz like I I feel like sometimes like with the amount of time people spend on like TikTok and stuff we're kind of obsessed with like glamour notions or sort of like yeah. appearing as if we're bigger yeah. than we are. And I kind of wonder if you play into that sort of- it's
0: a little bit of human psychology. <laughs> well, I,
2: I mean, it is, it is what it's, kind true, it's yeah. what kind of- It's true It's what, like, I mean, when you're a salesperson, you are Buffy. kind of doing that. Yeah. I mean, watch, watch a Pepsi commercial. It's like, drink Pepsi, you'll be happy. Look at all these young, happy, healthy, hot people. You <laughs> could be one of them, drink a Pepsi. And you're like, what's Pepsi? Sugar water. Oh, what's that doing for me? Oh, it's giving you <laughs> diabetes and cavities. Okay so at least we'd be saying yeah. this will make you healthy and happy and then it doesn't give you cavities it actually makes you healthy yeah, and happy exactly. <laughs> it's like uh yeah. inter- if you turn the sort of uh like the junk food market be like sort of like play on the same trope they do it's like oh yeah but so you know how this sells you this is how you're going to be a happy healthy party guy it's like this won't but this will you know it's like that the happy healthy chicken or something <laughs> i don't know
1: yeah it's true <laughs> though because there is and maybe that's why it doesn't resonate with which with everybody, but there's something that happens. Like There's something that happens to you when you have a meal on your table that you you almost grew yourself. Your your eggs are from the backyard, your lettuce, your asparagus is from the backyard or the grass-fed beef is literally from down the street. There's something that happens to you and you feel humbled and you get like a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's hard to communicate when as a consumer maybe, like you kind of get that but you need to have that value like you said you need to to want it
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's hard to really give that to everyone when everyone is so different some people like you said they want golden teeth instead of you know a golden diet it's different yeah it's yeah. different it's hard
0: yeah
2: it made me think of something that i forgot it when i was a green
1: <laughs> okay. i know this is <laughs> if this gets so dangerous i can talk to you guys all day gosh <laughs>
0: Good conversation. Yeah, no,
2: I I think because uh, like a lot of this to me is like trying to work out these ideas. And so it's nice to be able to talk to people who are in the same space. And I think even trying to do the active thinking sort of helps in a way too. like, if someone were to listen to this, they could say, Oh, I kind of see what he's thinking. And then I see what you're thinking in response and then be like, Oh, they're kind of missing something here that maybe they didn't see. And then, you know, maybe they can go somewhere with that. Or like, I, I just like yes. uh, playing with the ideas and trying to figure out because because, well, it, one of the funny things with our personality is Sophia compliments mine where I'm kind of stuck in the clouds. A lot of the time, I like having lots of ideas and stuff. And Sophia's like, okay, that's all great, but you know, maybe we could make this into a reality. Right. And so in this space, it's, it's sort of where we're trying to figure out like, how do we make this more of a reality? Cause it's, it is new territory. Like how, when you started with your chickens, you were in the middle of it and you're like, well, how do I get here? And, and so you have, we're, we're, we're trying to lay out, I guess, similar to what you did. A path towards or a a path closer towards this sort of sustainable uh food security and stuff like that but yes
1: and actually you touched base on something that was good too that um like everyone a lot of people have like that romantic idea of of that that homestead life and it's easy to get lost in the chickens and the goats and the horses and all the animals and it's fun and good but like you have to have your rational mind and think okay well that that's my passion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Your passion is for you. Your purpose is for others. So, yep. although that's your passion, how are you going to serve that as a purpose? How are you going to help yourself as mm-hmm. an income? Because you have to, you know, as, as much as a home, like a, and I don't mean to say homesteader. I just mean like that romantic idea that most people have about a homestead. They just have all these animals. Mm. In reality, what that is is just sucking money out of your paycheck. Yeah, yeah. But it has it has to provide an income. And I think what's really important is to be very creative in what you're doing and to manage your energy in the right places. So a way that we did that is while I was waiting to get to where I wanted to go, like these online courses, like it it sounds so simple, but it creates a passive income where I don't have to devote all of my energy for, Mm -hmm. and it creates an income so that we can do other things on the weekend. So Mm -hmm. even just becoming more creative in the rationality of where you want to go is really, really important because if you can create different avenues of income, because really at the end of the day, as much as we would all love to be farming, you have to make an income. You have to be sustainable. You have to have, you know, comfort in that, you know, you you might not need your full-time job anymore. Maybe you can go part-time or maybe you can leave it all together that, you know, that would be a dream, but you need that security, especially in days like today where, gas is going up and like, it's, it's scary. So you really need to make sure that you have that person that's <laughs> reeling you down from the clouds. That's saying, yeah. "Okay, well, how can we make an income? How can we make this work? So it's, you guys are, are a good match for that. And uh, I have to ask with your dome, what do you guys want to do with that? Like, what is the next steps look like for you?
2: So with us, um, Basically, uh, we had the first year where we grew a couple things in a box. We had the second year where we had a bigger garden and her parents helped us a lot. And then the third year, we took things into our own hands. And then that's that's where we had kind of more problems than, say, our second year, because we were sort of playing with a bunch of different ideas. Like you said, you go down those YouTube rabbit holes and you have a bunch of different ideas. <laughs> it's
1: dangerous. And so, yeah,
2: our garden was a hodgepodge of a bunch of different <laughs> ideas I had come into on the internet. And I found by by experimentation, by doing it, that a bunch of those things didn't work. And so one of the things that we realized last year too, when we were trying to figure out how to maximize the sort of amount of food we could get from a small lot, like say our yard, we said, well, one of the obvious limitations here in Canada is the growing season, right? We have a a notoriously short growing season. And so to me, I started looking into different ways that we sort of could extend the growing season. We looked at like, you know, maybe starting plants inside um maybe doing like um they do those little hoop beds there they do uh all different kinds of in ground garden beds all these different ideas and then I come across the dome and the dome was basically talked about doing that they uh uh the ad that I seen suggested that the shape would help keep in a lot of the heat then it also had a heat sink which is a big water tank in the back and so it said that you could be 30 degrees above the outside temperature in the dome And I thought, wow, you know, if we get down to minus 30 in the winter time and it would keep at say zero or we can keep it a little bit above that, well, then you could still grow in there, right? And so I figured-
1: It doesn't freeze? The water doesn't freeze in the winter?
2: So when, when so the, basically it's dependent on the amount of light, right? So if you get a good amount of light during the day, it'll heat up in that greenhouse really hot. Mm -hmm. Like, so there was a few days here where it was like minus 15 or 16. And in the dome, it would get up to 22 degrees. And that was just from the sunlight, enough sunlight getting in there and, uh, heating up the whole dome. So like right now the tank, well, the tank's been melting all the time because lately we've had lots of sun. So yeah. during the day, it heats up to 22, 23, 24 degrees in there. And so it's getting wow. very warm. The, the biggest problem we really had was, um, so where our houses or sorry, where our dome is in the backyard where the sun comes up in the morning, we basically lose the first probably three hours or more of sunlight in the morning, just because of where our neighbor's house is located. And then when the sun finally comes over that in the low time of the year, we're maybe getting five hours of sunlight on there. And really, I think you need probably about eight. So really, I think we can extend our growing season, but we won't be able to grow right through the winter. Like I think we had originally planned. Well, I think we're we'll still
1: extending your growing season.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So what we've been talking about lately is, um, there's some plants that I think they, they talk about wanting to get started right away. Like I think peppers is something we yeah. have to start pretty soon. Yeah. And then we, we started figuring that what we would maybe do is start some stuff even earlier and then put it in the dome earlier when we know we're going to get basically enough light to support the growth of those plants and then try to work on using it as sort of a place where we could do succession planting or use it as a, an environment that's a little bit more controllable for some of our plants that are harder to grow or more susceptible to water. Like say last year, towards the end of the season, we fought powdery mildew. because We had a few days where it just kept raining and raining and our plants yeah. just stayed humid. And so we're, we're gonna kind of use it as a tool to extend our growing season, to have a little more climate control over the plants that we need a little more climate control over. And um, so it's, it's, it's really part of trying to utilize, utilize our space as, as good as we can.
0: Yeah, when we got into this idea of what we wanted to do, it was really, we wanted to you know um, grow food for ourselves. We really want to be uh, self-reliant. And when we're getting our meat lately, we've been going local and uh, we're going to keep doing that. So it's just a whole lifestyle shift, right? So yeah. uh, that's why, you know, we looked into the dome and we ended up getting it, like you said, to extend our growing season. And it's really just to, to, to not have to go to the grocery store and so that we can be uh, reliant on ourselves.
2: Yeah. And, and we looked at that as being like, and also I can't lie and say it didn't catch my eye. Like, it's just a really cool structure too. And I really it like, is really It is really cool. yeah, so like, I, I don't know, I just seen it and I'm like, well, this is kind of what exactly we're trying to do. And I think in, in some degree too, that was like almost like putting your money where your mouth is. It was like, no, let's really see what you can really go ahead and grow in a Northwestern suburb backyard. And we've, we've learned a lot in our couple of years of messing stuff up.
0: You're from Northwestern. Oh yeah, I forget that
2: sometimes. <laughs> but anyways, uh yeah. So we just wanted to really figure I out wouldn't
1: have been a, I wouldn't have corrected you.
2: <laughs> well, even when I first moved here, I'm a little a little leery to even call this place north. You're pretty close to Toronto to be north. Where I'm from is 17 and a half hours away from here. So I'm from really far up north. Yeah.
0: Where but anyways, at?
2: yeah. Uh so Vermilion Bay is where I'm from. It's uh it's a place uh if you've ever heard of Kenora. Yeah. Okay, so it's about an uh 45 minutes to an hour east of Kenora. It's a little town right on the highway. There's a big uh Bigfoot statue right next to the highway in front of a Noddle park store.
1: Oh my gosh, I've been there as a kid. I'm from up north, like up north, not that north, but like like north or from Timmins area, like where it kind of gets to those boonies. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've actually, yeah, I remember that statue. It gave me nightmares. <laughs> it's, it's
0: pretty terrifying. <laughs> yeah.
2: But yeah, it's uh so like this year too we were just talking about how we're uh, laying out our garden. So it's kind of exciting getting ready for this year coming too cuz you're making all your plans and we're like okay, this year we did yeah. this. So that's not going to work and so we were talking about oh, maybe we actually need another bed here cuz we we're going through all our seeds too and we we're like holy crap, we got a whole bunch of seeds and we need to figure out, you know, where we're going to put it all. So yeah, that's that's the sort of the going forward plan right now. Um I think eventually like i would like to be able to say grow enough for ourselves and then if we could say feed her parents down the road with their vegetable supply and then maybe our our uh, like her sister and, and her husband and that kind of thing like that would be kind of like to me really good because I don't, I don't know if we could have the scale here to really provide anything to a market on any kind of a reliable sort of schedule so i think it would be just kind of supplying our, our own little local family kind of in a way with just better food hopefully yeah. And then, and then that's still, too-
1: a, that's still a really good goal.
2: Yeah, of course. The, the, yeah, the
1: price of, of, of food right now is, is, is great. And I think there's such a misconception that people tend to think that, oh, you know, I can, I can only have this lifestyle. If I, if I have like five, six acres, well, I know very successful market gardeners that do everything they have on an acre and a half, you don't need yep. that much land. Mm-hmm. So like, even what you're doing, extending your growing period it's it's it, that's incredible and i there's not a lot of people doing that and it's like now that you say it out loud and now that i'm thinking about it it's almost like a no-brainer <laughs> like it's i'm surprised not more people are doing it and it actually kind of resonates a little bit with me because now i'm thinking that maybe in a way to keep the waters from freezing in the winter for the cows i might just build a dome <laughs> on top of it and i will just keep yeah. the water from freezing at least as much yeah but uh that's interesting
2: yeah like that or some kind of a greenhouse even or something like that because like uh, another thing I got looking into when I was looking at greenhouses there was I found this house that I think was built in Sweden and there was a couple that was living there and they had basically built a house and then around the house they built like a greenhouse exoskeleton almost so they had converted the top level of their house where their roof would be into like a patio almost where you could go sit up there And so the whole house is enclosed in a greenhouse, and so all of the heating for the house was basically passive solar by creating a greenhouse effect around the house, and this was in in Sweden. So they're a fairly similar climate to what we got, and it was just a really cool idea, and it kind of gets you thinking about the different uses of a passive solar structure, because really that's all the greenhouse is, it's maximizing the passive solar energy just like one of the things that we learned that was a great idea that probably saved us a lot of money this year passive energy rain collection you know like that's huge when you're watering
1: simple yeah i know
2: and just and like even like because we got like a big hill in our backyard it would be a good idea for us to dig dig like sort of a ditch or some kind of a a swallow i can't remember what the structure is called but you sort of build it it's a rain capture basically and it traps more more water under the ground and it gives you access to more water it's because you get water that kind of goes under the ground you can get more access to the plants that are near yeah, that area it's
0: working with your environment right yeah. figuring out what you need and getting it
2: yeah trying, trying yeah. to figure out how to utilize all of the outputs that aren't being utilized and so passive solar is a big one because it, it really surprised me like in days where it was really cold as long as that dome would get direct sunlight right. it would really heat up in there like really really heat up in there and so yeah, i that's figured- a,
1: that's interesting
2: yeah, I figure even if we wanted to run that all year round, it would probably need heat and maybe some lights in there for two or three months and I think it could probably manage the rest of the time just kind of natural.
0: Yeah.
2: But uh we'll we'll see this year how that goes cuz like I said it's we our got it's our first year with, it, first really? year with it. yeah cuz we we planted a few things in there at the end of the season just to see like we wanted to see, you know, uh how warm it would stay in there without us adding any heat. We wanted to know Basically, if we get enough light in the backyard and all that kind of stuff, and so this year we found out, yeah, we had to kind of pay attention to when the sun comes up, and because it's in a different part of the sky too, right? So, where our yard usually we get lots of sunlight from pretty much the whole time the sun's up, in the winter time we really don't get that, so we definitely need to supplement light if we want to use it all year round, or or consider uh, another another thing like maybe growing more indoors during the winter time if we need to, or basically just maximize the amount you grow outside by taking advantage of the succession uh planting and taking advantage of the extended growing season of the dome. So really just maximize your yield in those few months, mm-hmm. store as much as possible. Yes. But then once you start talking about that, then we start thinking, oh well, we don't have like a place to store our food. Yes. So then we're talking about building like a cold cellar or an adega and uh so that that's the next thing that you get into too. is like, oh, I got all this food and oh, I stored it all. And then what are you going to like live in a pantry? You got jars
1: all around you. <laughs> it's actually funny that you say that. Like uh, we just moved, like I said, we just moved here in October. This is our first month. Like we didn't really get to do anything out here other than just put a fence like that our dogs don't go into the pond. But there's this structure in the back that we thought was an outhouse for way too long. And we were too scared to open it. <laughs> and one day my husband got the courage to, you know what, I'm just going to open it. And it turned out it's a root cellar. Oh, So now, really? yeah, it's creepy. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but it's, it's encouraging now. I'm like, Oh, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe I want to use it, which is odd though, because there's, there's no gardens around here, but they have a root cellar for some, I don't know what they were keeping down there, maybe meat, but uh yeah. So it's yeah. Root cellars are pretty cool. But now like with your, with your extended growing season that you've created now, and the, the fact that you can really expand on that aspect, are you interested in doing like, is your main goal eventually to feed yourself and others and become completely self-sustainable? Or like, where are you guys headed in that retrospect?
2: So we kind of play with that. Like, um, so like we, we live in the city and as far as I know, you're not allowed to have chickens in the city. That would be one of those things I would try to get changed <laughs> or or you know, like, I mean, hypothetically, a person could potentially have animals in their yard that potentially their neighbors don't know about. And if no one knows about it, no harm, no foul. Right. Yeah. And so you could do that. That's that's you'd sort be surprised
1: of... with the amount of flocks that are in the city.
2: Oh, exactly. And I I know for yeah. talking to different people, like uh I know it's pretty common in the city that lots of Italians would have little rabbit trees and just have their little kind of Batch of rabbits because they would they're they're good for a Sunday d- uh, dinner or whatever else, but um yeah yeah no I think it would be basically if we could grow all of the stuff that isn't the meat product we would probably just buy the meat product and I think for us that would be it's because to me like it's like if if I wanted to do more of the real sustainability like have the animals and stuff I would want to go for that but you have to kind of go out of the city for that. Like we are kind of limited, like you can't really have animals or nothing in the city. So I I figure to maximize the self-reliance in the city to me would be uh, anything that's not like animal. Basically we grow that and make that ourselves. And then the stuff that we can't do, we get from the community. So we're going to get from whoever can do the the animal husbandry or
0: go to the market. Yeah. Go to the market, do stuff like that.
2: Yeah, because that's I think that's just one of the limitations of being in the city. I think, like it or not, you are a part of the system, so so to speak. And I think, you know,
0: yeah.
2: I like I think um participating in a more sustainable system that's sort of parallel or lives within that system is kind of the best case scenario. Yeah. But yeah, I I I think that's uh that's where we stand with that. It, it'll be mostly just uh figuring out how to grow all of our food, grow all the food for our family and stuff and and, and really too, I think it's a, it's a good way for us to learn a lot about what goes into the, the manufacturing of the food, the saving of the food. Um, and it, it's, it's good too just in, in having that mindset where you're trying to like balance nature too, like just kind of being aware to to me, it's like, um, we're, we're learning what I think of as being like, um, the, the proper, uh, way to, to, to interact with sort of nature. It's like, like human beings are sort of separate, like we're very different than any other animal on the planet because we modify our environment to sort of suit our needs. And I think you can go too far in an extreme that way where you're modifying the environment too much. And I think mother nature is the type of person that um, you can push her far and you can push her really far but eventually she does snap back. And I think if, if um, we're trying to sort of live more in harmony with that, even if it's not like, um, totally self-reliant, it's a little closer to what I think is being sort of more natural or more ethical, say, or more sustainable. Yeah. So I, I think that's kind of the, the modus operandi, I guess you'd say what we're trying to do.
1: Do you have, yeah. A... And that goes along with the, the movement that's happening, right. Mm-hmm. Everyone is, is more likely to to think and want a product that you know, you don't see a massive feedlot or you don't see these acres and acres and acres of, of crops and the soil that's just drying. You know, they don't want to see that. They'd much rather see a small local farmer kind of just doing his thing. It's, yeah, it would be a better vision for everything. So it's, it's nice to talk to like-minded people because especially in, in this industry, especially with COVID, it becomes very lonely as, as farmers because we're, we're kind of all doing the same thing but we're all super scattered and that we're not necessarily talking about anything or talking to each other or sharing. So it's nice to have like a, like a foundation, which you guys are creating. And I'm very grateful that you guys have created that, that we we can really share and, and express ourselves in a different ways. And it's, it's going to be fun to see where this, this, uh, this ends up.
2: Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I think um, hopefully that comes through in the spirit of what we're trying to do, where, I guess that is kind of what we're doing is we are kind of bringing farmers together. So they have a place that they can talk and, and small local business people where they can talk to each other and, and um, express the sort of value in investing in the community mm-hmm. and, and show that they are providing, in fact, a product that is really worth the investment. Right. And so, yeah, I, I guess if we can, if we can do that, then that's sort of a, a mission accomplished, even if it's uh, even if it, it it's, because it's it's really hard we're, we're, we're kind of um maybe because of our age and stuff like that it's like we're we're a, one of the first generations that's like it seems like really really separated from community like I think if you go back before like social media becomes a really big thing you're still going out and interacting with your friends a lot more you're still going and having to deal with your family a lot more like family dinners. It was never really an issue where you had to tell someone to put their cell phone away so you could have a conversation with them. And now it is right. So it's like, maybe why it affects people in our generation more is we have memories of the earlier sort of pre cell phone, pre social media and we're seeing what's happening now. And you can't help but notice that everyone's a little more anxious, a little more neurotic. They don't feel very well. You know, they feel closed off, yeah. even though they have access to everybody. And it's, it's, it's almost like the equivalent of being in a room full of strangers kind of, right? You just, there's no one to talk to. And even though you're immediately beside somebody, there's no real connection and there's no real warmth. And so it's, it's, it's a part of trying to figure out how to bring back a community. Cause it's almost like, um, we're sort of all separated, not not explicitly separated from our families, but we're sort of we're sort of estranged in a sense, and we're trying to figure out yes. what is what is the glue that reconnects a community. What is what is what actually holds mm-hmm. it together? Because it's there. There has to be, I think, the the shared value, right? Like that that bond over you know where my food comes from is important to me. Like I think that's a, a sticky point, I guess, when you're trying to have the community. And then I think there's a lot of uh, ideas that stick to that idea too. And that's where you start to get sort of an ethos or almost like a tribe, I guess, so to speak. And I, I think yeah. that's, that's, that's the hard part. Right. And it's, it's kind of funny. Cause I think like it's almost a thing that human beings have been thinking about for a really long time. Like how do we get people to stick together and work together? Right. <laughs> so, you know, no, one's figured out the answer yet. So I don't feel so bad for not having all the answers for it, but we're, we're kind of, blindly, uh, reaching for it, I guess.
1: I I think that's great. It takes a lot of courage to do that. It's hard to put yourself out there. Like I remember even doing like a few of my courses, like the amount of times that I re-recorded myself is is so embarrassing, but just, just that, that fear of putting yourself out there. So I love what you guys are doing, what you guys are standing for. And it kind of makes me think of, uh, in the States, they have like these agriculture, these Communities like they—they have conferences and webinars, and they have these big gatherings. We don't have that here. There's Mm -hmm. nothing programmed like that here. So we—we remain all separated, even if our end goal is all the same. Yeah, and it's almost silly. But well,
2: and that might even be a good indication of of, uh, a road to look down too. Is like you know, if there are existing models, how much of that can we sort of transfer over to what we're doing here, right? Like look at sort of what they have in the states, like you're talking about. And if that model it's, is it's
1: strange, how different it is there compared to here. Well,
2: yeah, we're very different countries, like our whole history, everything about like, we're, it's funny because c- Canadians and Americans were very similar, but very, very different. Like we like a lot of the same stuff, but our temperaments are very different. Our attitudes towards certain things are very, very different. So like, I could I could see, cause to me, Americans definitely have uh an essential part of their character is that like rugged individualism and i think that preserves an ethos of more rural communities more doing stuff on your own and i i i would argue that that lends itself to living with the land and all that kind of stuff so i, I could see that being a little closer in a sense to to what uh maybe makes it easier for the americans to have that and i think canadians one of our strengths even to some degree is that we kind of congeal a little bit better around kind of one idea. Like, think about it. Like, I mean, our country basically stayed loyal to the crown when their country rebelled. Right. So we believe in kind of like sticking in the group, working together and figuring it out that way. Whereas our, our American counterparts are a little more willing to kind of stick out and do their own thing. And cause it's, it's kind of part of their attitude, right? It's sometimes people think it's a little less endearing and sometimes people think it's a little more endearing. I mean, it's a give and take, but I, I think they're that, that's I
1: put you, very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I,
2: I have a lot of respect for our for our uh, our brothers and sisters to the south, There, I think they got a lot of cool stuff to teach us. And this might be an, an example of something they could teach us where they got a model that yeah. works and we just might be able to say, oh, well, this wouldn't work here, but this would. So let's take the parts that work, start running with the model and uh, fix whatever needs to be fixed as you go along. So. I think that would be something interesting to look into. I know I also
0: reinvent the wheel, right?
2: Well, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, What is it? Yes. Uh, Smart. I'll screw up the saying, but it's something to the effect of uh, smart people create new ideas and like geniuses, steal ideas or something like that. It's almost like, uh, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants if it's there. So if they've already got something done, right. It's like, we'll take the parts that work make it work for what you're trying to do Make it better. (laughs) I mean, you would would definitely try to, but yeah, there's, there's all kinds of people that have a lot of ideas that are very similar to ours. And that's part of what I find is really daunting. Sometimes you're trying to figure out how do I do this? How do I do this? And like, oh, well, this guy's already kind of doing something like this, or this girl's already kind of doing something like that. So I was like, okay, well, I like that part. And I like that part. I think they have a good synergy here. And then I'll figure out how that sort of applies to the community more broadly. And so that's what I kind of like yeah. doing is trying to figure out how to put those pieces together. Because yeah. we were talking to about, like, say, the farmer's market. And there's uh, another um, another growing association in the community here. Um, I was at uh, Four Seasons Pharmacy. I was talking to the owner there. Seasons. Seasons Pharmacy. Yeah. Sorry. And uh, she was she was talking about there's another community here. So I think there's a couple of communities that are sort of doing that kind of thing it might be a matter of figuring out how to network these communities together. And they're already say doing 50 or 60% of the same thing and they could help strengthen that mutual thing that they're both doing, and then maybe have more power to do the other thing that they're doing, which allows them to branch out and meet other communities. So that's, that's what I kind of think of sometimes is maybe that would be another thing to do is to look into that model that you were suggesting, look into the farmer's market and stuff and figure out if there's a way to bring these already sort of existing small communities into um, communities that can exchange with each other a little more freely perhaps.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah that is a, a great great way to put it. It's it's kind of silly because Sudbury is like it, we're surrounded by farms mm-hmm. yet you see so little of it. So like having a stronger connection and having those gatherings and having that that structure and the strength in what they're actually doing, that would that would change a lot. Like there's a lot of room for growth, even in the in the farmer's markets. Like I remember when I first moved to Sudbury, I would see them and it was like three or four little cabooses. And I was like, what is that? Like you didn't really, it didn't look like a farmer's, like there's a lot of room for for improvement. And I think the more that we come together, the more that we do these things, we brainstorm, we just talk out loud, mm-hmm. it kind of places where we might want to go. And it, uh, yeah, like even that, the the pharmacy that you guys just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like I, I, I knew of them, but I didn't really yeah. connect until you just said that, that that's, they're doing those things. So it's, yeah, it's just that awareness that we have to bring out. And it's Sudbury is it's kind of like a blank slate with that. There's, there's very little active farming. Like what I would love, what I would honestly love to do in the future would be to bring 4-H back and mm-hmm. really strengthen that. Yeah. It's really it's popular up in the, uh, up North, but yeah. you know, down South too, but the there's quarters. not, there's none of that here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Get those super fancy pigs, those super fancy cows, those yeah. really create and show off those genetics that people were really proud of. So
2: yeah. And that, that kind of has another pillar
1: of that. bringing them together. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And that, that even kind of makes me think too, how, like, um, at least when I was in high school, it seemed like country music became more popular for a while, or maybe it was just because I lived in a yeah. rural, rural community.
0: And, and too, I know too. it's a bit
2: hacky and a bit corny, but there, there was almost like sort of a pride in being kind of a redneck type or a farmer type like you know yeah, like if you're um, blue
1: collar you weren't blue collar enough yeah, yeah
2: exactly like
1: <laughs> there was always another level
0: well
2: yeah. at, at the school I went to it was very like not maybe not very cool maybe I don't have an idea of <laughs> what cool is but uh people I knew thought it was cool to wear Carhartt jackets to school because they were it still is well yeah exactly right so it, it was it was it's a signaling of being working class though right and like, yeah, even the idea of being a farmer and this and that, like, I know my, I had buddies who were farmers and he would wear like a big belt buckle to school and stuff like that. Cause I like, he was like, like a, a real cowboy basically, but like, there's, I don't know. It's like, there, there almost has to be like sort of an archetype to latch onto in a way. Like, it's almost like a role model, right? Like, and I think the sort of cowboy or farmer, there's a lot of good aspects about that. Right. It's like, well, what do you know, what do you know about a farmer? You can rely on them. They're hard workers. They're tough as nails. They tell the truth. You know what I mean. There's all these cool yeah. things. one yeah. Exactly right. And I wonder yeah. if sometimes like that's part of the idea you're selling too. Is like it's not. It's like it's. It is about that. But it the kind of person that does that is a special kind of person. You know, he's a he's a noble farmer type. You know, or she's a noble farmer type. You know, they they got integrity. They got like and there's because. That, that's part of it, right? Like, you, there has to be an idea you can really, like, believe in to latch on to, like, because even, even, like, everything that anybody does, like, why they get up in the morning and go to work, they have to have sort of a story that they're sort of, they believe they're writing or a, or, or something that guides them, in a sense, a sort of map to to lead them to the the why in life, why get up, why go to work, why do this, right? And you got to have almost like a lens to kind of latch on to, to start moving forward in a sense.
1: I think there's a really lack of, um, people lack purpose right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much going on. There's so much going on all the time. And we have access to so much. We, we don't really have like a rhyme or reason for what we do. And a lot of people are they're, they're just, like you say, they get up, they go to work. Why? Cause I need an income. Why? Because I need to pay for food. Why? You know, you don't, a lot of people don't they don't have that purpose and a lot of the, those who are growing whether it's vegetables whether it's you know fruit whether it's trees whether it's just pasture whether it's just hay mm-hmm. you know you you have a sense of purpose yeah. that you you kind of can't live without you need that kind of purpose and if without it you're kind of lost so a lot of the people that I've found that are farmers or homesteaders even uh, they they have that they have that fire inside them that says no this is what I'm gonna do this is what I want to do I don't care how hard it is I don't care what I have to sacrifice this is what I want to do and it's hard to find nowadays and yeah. you're right it takes a, a special kind of people to to do it
2: yeah well it's it's kind of funny too where maybe maybe this is a sign of our modern times where people think like you know maybe the purpose of life is like you know just be happy or just experience good things and stay away from experiencing bad things as much as possible yeah But then you look at the people who have convictions who have strength of character they have actually more responsibility and that that seems to be what actually gives you a purpose in a sense it's being responsible for those animals being responsible for your business and there's, there's some resiliency and character that I think is ne- necessary to be that kind of person, right? Either, either you have the, the gumption to sort of stick by it and get stronger or you don't, but like, it's um, it seems like in that struggle or in that uh, taking on of more responsibility, you do find more meaning. It does seem to make your life. It makes it easier to get up in the morning. Cause it's like, Oh, I, I know exactly who I am and why I'm getting up and what I'm doing it's not even a question. Yes. It's almost automatic at that point. Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's so easy to get lost with with everything that's happening. So definitely, 100%. You clicked on something and I, for some reason, it just like escaped. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, uh, I'd like uh, to say no. thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was really good to kind of uh, exchange ideas and, and talk about the the shared values behind what keeps uh, industries like what you what you're doing alive and uh, helps hopefully grow them. Um, so, would you be able to tell uh, us and anyone else who's listening where they could uh, get access to your course or get access to other services you provide?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at friskfarm.com online. You can find me on Instagram at Frisk Point Ranch. And you can also find me on Pinterest, which is the way that we use our traffic. Yeah, those three are our main pillars at the moment. Working on something else, but I can't share it yet.
0: Okay, so we'll have to stay tuned for sure. (laughs) All right, well, thanks again. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure discussing with you guys. I could talk to you guys for hours. It's uh, (laughs) it's really fun to talk to like-minded people. It's nice to know that they're out there because sometimes we're so rural and so far away from each other. You kind of feel like it. They're not there, so it's it's fun to talk with you.
2: Thanks.